This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we talk NetApp AI with David Arnett and how NetApp simplifies the way you purchase reference architectures. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipok. Zipok. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the basement of my house and with me today I have David Arnett of the AI team. So David, what do you do other than what I just said and how do we reach you? Uh, My name is Dave Arnett. I'm the uh, principal technical marketing engineer for the AI and analytics team. Um, You can reach me at david.arnett at netapp.com, A-R-N-E-T-T-E. Okay. And, you know, AI is kind of a broad general term or artificial intelligence, you know, to, to kind of spell it out, right? Um, what do we mean when we talk about AI in terms of storage and NetApp? Well, the AI is a big broad general term and is actually uh, probably better referred to as machine learning and deep learning, right? Uh, what, we, what we call artificial intelligence is a combination of kind of uh, machine learning team uh, technologies that that make things look intelligent when really they're still just kind of following a program. So uh, the, the the reason NetApp is is in this game and the reason we think we had a lot of value is because um, these technologies are built on data. You simply can't perform these uh, these operations without a big pool of data that generally is coming from a wide variety of locations. And so the ability to, to kind of manipulate data and where it is and, and how many copies and things like that. Um, those are right in our wheelhouse and they play directly to kind of the requirements of the AI space. So can you give me some examples of what an AI or machine learning workload would look like? Well, uh, there's the sky's the limit. I mean, some of the obvious examples are things like an autonomous vehicle, right? Like the, a self-driving car is a, is a great example of that. Um, the, the, it, then it stretches the, the gamut of things from that all the way to like, uh, insurance billing fraud detection or, or bank fraud detection, um, or uh, things like that, right. Back office processes that are much less, uh, interesting or obvious, but are actually likely to drive a lot more value and revenue for our customers. So another example of that is actually our own auto support, right? Like we actually collect massive amounts of data from from systems out there in the wild, and then we kind of process that data and kind of try to understand trends and patterns and do predictive analysis for things like drive failures and, and auto sensing of problems, right? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, that's a that is another great example, and it's one way we're doing this in house. Um, and to the value of the data, I know the the capabilities of that pool of data are actually available to our data scientists to to discover new things. Right? We we've got a massive pool of data from the years that we've been collecting that, and uh, they're they're all the time exploring new ways to leverage that data and help our customers either optimize their systems or avoid downtime or things like that. It doesn't just help customers, right? It helps us because it reduces the time of completion for case closures. It reduces the man hours it takes to, to fix those problems and ultimately increases customer satisfaction because this stuff's getting done without having a lot of headache and handholding. Absolutely. So I know that NetApp sells an AI solution. Um, I, in my understanding is there's a newer, there's a new version of that. There's a reference architecture out there. So can you tell me a little bit about what that reference architecture is? 
Yeah, so NetApp actually has several solutions in the AI space. We're really going to focus on the on the ONTAP AI solution. Um, the uh, the the basically it's a combination of uh, NVIDIA DGX servers, which are some of the world's fastest supercompute servers, basically, um, along with NetApp's all flash fast storage systems and Mellanox networking to connect them all together. Um, we've been through uh, in a, a lot of ways, you know, people may be familiar with FlexPods. We've done a lot of the same things in terms of uh, building this configuration, testing it in a lot of different ways, and then documenting that, you know, to, to make it a reference for people as they build their own solutions, and even providing some de- uh, detailed deployment guides for, uh, for standing it up in your own environment. So how detailed are these guys? I mean, are they basically step by step? You do it this way and you're done? Yeah, that's the idea, right? We've uh, we've already put the hardware together in the lab and kind of tested it and validated those configurations and then provided the steps necessary for a customer to stand it up and, and validate that they're getting kind of similar performance and capabilities for themselves. And are these steps, are they basically manual steps or do we have automation involved? Do we have things like, you know, NetApp Trident or other things that can kind of make this thing go a lot smoother than just, you know, having to follow each individual step? Well, Trident actually plays at a higher level, and we have a lot of great integration with Trident in the software stack at a higher level. From the from the infrastructure deployment perspective, uh, the, the documents are, are published steps, but we do also actually have Ansible automation um, that can deliver the same basic configuration and can be customized for for individual needs that actually turns that configuration and deploys it in about 15 minutes. Okay. So uh, with the Ansible recipes, I mean, do we have them published already out there or are these things that customers are going to have to create on their own? Uh, no, the, we have a lot of Ansible documentation up on GitHub, the specific to this AI solution. Uh, the, the storage portion of the deployment is already up on the on GitHub and available for customers to use. Okay, excellent. But so really they'd be dealing with just like the server and network side. That's correct. Okay. From a server perspective, things are not very complicated, right? It's all pretty standard networking, um, and the network configuration uh, essentially follows a reference configuration that that can be applied very easily. So, are we doing anything to make that even easier? Are we, you know, including this all in a single sales unit? Or, I mean, what other things do we have going on around this AI reference architecture that can help customers deploy it faster? Well, that's actually the big announcement here, right? Is we've, we've had this ONTAP AI reference architecture for a couple of years now. Uh, we recently updated it with the new generation of DGX servers, the, uh, the DGX A100s. But the, the big announcement now is the ONTAP AI integrated solution, which takes this entire package and makes it available to customers through their, through their partners as basically a single line item that they can purchase that includes all of the hardware, including all of the cables. It includes uh, support for the system once it's installed, and it includes the installation services to get it online and running. Okay. So that's a total like you know, single sales unit thing where I don't have to worry about dealing with multiple SKUs and that sort of thing? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, the, one of the challenges we find in this space is that 
Um, it's new to everybody. It's new to the customers. It's new to the partners. It's even new to a lot of the hardware vendors in the space where it's new to us. AI is a new thing. And, and of course, NVIDIA is new to kind of this commercial computing environment. So um, the, this really brings a, a lot of the uh, complexity and eliminates it. Um, and through Arrow, the distributor, any of the any of the resellers that work with Arrow can basically order uh, a T-shirt sized package, right? Small, medium, or large, with a couple of storage options that basically, like I said, comes with the installation services to get it online and running, and then a one a single phone number support. Once the system's up and running, there's a, a very simple support path for issues that you may run into. All right, excellent. So what sort of use cases do you see uh, customers deploying this AI solution for? You know, we talked about autonomous driving and the auto support use case. What target areas are we trying to aim this this for? Well, the there's kind of three primary verticals we've been focused on. One is uh, is autonomous vehicles um, and and advanced driver assistance systems. As those are the things like the the uh, automatic braking that your car does where it's not actually driving, but it'll recognize that you're about to hit something and hit the brakes first. Um, healthcare is another big area. We've worked with a couple of big uh, customers and partners across the healthcare space um, doing things from, um, you know, examining uh, uh, atmospheric conditions for uh, for asthma diagnosis and medication and things like that, or uh, cancer research and all kinds of things like that. And then the uh, the other uh, vertical we've been focusing on is financial, right? We work with a couple of large customers that are doing things like uh, fraud detection. I mentioned earlier on credit card fraud detection or uh, churn detection, right? Nobody as a customer wants to see a customer leave or as a as a uh, enterprise wants to see a customer leave. And so determining when uh, and the things that might lead a customer to leave are very valuable to help help prevent customers from leaving when, when that happens. I would imagine there would be a use case for high frequency trading as well. Like, you know, a, a customer uh, there is a use case yeah. for high frequency trading. That's a little scary. Um, when you get to it, right, that's actually a part of how things like the, the Robin Hood incident a while ago happened is because people are influencing markets and, and automated systems are reacting to that and so on. Um, but, yeah, there is a there's a ton of value in that. And, and actually, uh, one of the customers we spoke to was focused on um, not the actual trading, but the risk management of trading, right, maintaining uh, various assets and risk management across the asset portfolio. Um, which was a which was an interesting use case for me to hear. So I understand that these types of use cases require a vast amount of performance, and, and some of that is IOP driven, right? You know, you need a lot of IOPS over a certain number of seconds, um, or, and some of it is throughput. Like, so what are you seeing out there for performance, and you know, what sort of testing are we doing in in our CPOC labs to illustrate that performance for our customers? Well, there's there's kind of two phases to the AI operations, and and there are somewhat different performance requirements for each of those. As you said, the the big, really heavy lifting of this process is the is the model training phase, uh, and that's where basically as much data as you can pull together gets passed through a series of algorithms to produce the final the final output, the final model, and then. That leads to the second phase of the process, which is called inferencing, where 
that model then looks at new data and makes the prediction or the classification or whatever that model was trained to do. So during the, during the model training phase, the uh, throughput requirements are, are very high. Uh, late, uh, IOPS are not as important, mainly usually because it is a large sequential read from the storage system. And so once the stream starts, you know, it doesn't really matter how, how, how many IOPS there are to get it there, or what the latency is, as long as the, as long as the throughput continues. And then at the inferencing stage, it becomes much more of a, uh, a higher frequency IOPS thing as individual images may be passed through the, through the system and more of a, a random read workload um, than a sequential read workload. Well, there's also the data gathering phase, right? So our autonomous cars with their cameras drive around and take pictures and they have to write data to a storage system. And then, you know, that, that's going to be a, a high IOP uh, workload, right? You're going to be writing a lot of data to those particular volumes. And then later on, you can always, you know, check back in with the, with the on-prem system and, and replicate it in and into that data set. So that's very true, although we, we're not actually that far out to the edge yet. We, we've kind of tested out some systems to do that in the car. In most cases, the, the customers that are doing these things have uh, systems built in the cars already for storing data. The, the general procedure now, now I will say they generate on the order of two terabytes a day per car. Um, and many of the customers we talk to have fleets of 10 to 20 cars on the road, right? So they're generating 40 to 50 terabytes of data a day. They get back to the garage and then they, the, the challenge is they have to put that data somewhere. And that's where that's the first step of where we like to get involved because that's, that's the edge where we can start to leverage the data fabric and some NetApp technologies to ease the management of that huge quantity of data. So generally they pull back into the garage, that data gets offloaded onto a, a system resident in the garage. And that system resident in the garage is a staging area for movement on to the next phase, right? Whether that could be to the cloud or to another data center where the training happens. And at the garage, there's actually a, a variety of workloads. One, there's the, the ingest workload. But then there is, at this point, some level of filtering and analysis of the data out there at the edge simply because it's too expensive to send 50 terabytes a day from one or more locations across a, across a WAN link. So if the systems in the cars aren't NetApp systems, how are they getting the data on a NetApp systems? What, what tools are they using? Uh, well, we have used tools like CloudSync uh, is, the, is kind of one of our first entry points into the data fabric. Um, CloudSync provides a, a heterogeneous copy mechanism that can pull from any NFS or SIFS or object-based location and copy it into another location, and that process can be automated. And then CloudSync can also be used as the next step moving data from the garage out to wherever the next next place it's going to be need to be processed. And, and CloudSync, you know, you, it has cloud in the name, but these aren't actually moving into clouds. They're moving into on-prem systems. That's correct, but CloudSync offers the ability to do on-prem to on-prem or on-premise to the cloud or vice versa. Um, CloudSync is really just the name of the service that manages a, an array of replication capabilities. And how does this differ from something like XCP? I mean, what, what are the main differences between the two? 
So XCP provides more of a uh, an ad hoc copy mechanism and deeper file analytics for uh, analyzing some of the the data. We are definitely exploring the use of XCP uh, in AI workloads for uh, integration with things like uh, Hadoop and and MapR and some of those type of existing analytics technologies that have traditionally used their own storage systems. Um, but are finding more and more that access to a larger data lake um, with the performance capabilities that we can offer provides a much better solution. So, so XCP provides a lot of capabilities for that type of integration. So we have XCP for analytics and, and some data copying and, and cloud sync for, for data movement. Are, are you finding that customers are using both of these to, to do different things with them or are they just picking one or the other? Well, it, dep- it all depends on what they're doing. Um, cloud sync is generally most of the application for cloud sync we see is for a, a broader scale of data movement across um, across sites, you know, existing customer sites or from a, a customer site to a cloud site or things like that. Um, again, this this really is the sweet spot for NetApp in the sense that, you know, we're really one of the only storage vendors who can offer a complete suite of products that span the edge location and the and the data center location and the cloud and the tools to tie it all together so that you know we we've talked to customers whose workflow goes from the garage directly to the cloud and other customers whose workflows go from the garage to their own internal data center and then maybe to the cloud as an archive but everybody's a little bit different and we could still kind of customize the 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 solutions we offer to their workflows so where does object storage fit into this? Does it have a place or is it just mostly just NAS storage? Well, I personally think object storage has a huge place in this. Uh, and many customers are, are starting to agree that the reason simply is scale, right? When, you, when we start talking about the quantities of data that we're talking about, um, some of the autonomous driving customers are, are literally collecting petabytes a year, right? And, and as a steady stream, that's only getting larger. And at that point, from a from a economy of scale perspective, object storage um, is a is a pretty easy answer. Uh, there are also a lot of other benefits to object storage that enable some of these workflows in the sense that data is not necessarily tied to a specific location um, or or performance tier or things like that, and also that data can have uh, quite a bit of additional metadata applied to it to help identify it as relevant to, to various processes. Right, like the object, to, uh, object tagging so that you can kind of organize your data a little better and manage it. it exactly, exactly. Have you done much testing with the ONTAP S3 portion of, of ONTAP or are you mostly seeing storage grid deployments as a way to go for object? So that I, that depends on the customer use case. Uh, uh, the storage grid is is the object solution, right? And it provides all of the metadata tagging and all of the information lifecycle management and so on. Uh, I see the value of ONTAP S three as a local as a local repository. Um, it gives customers a great way to get started with the, with S three and understand um, how that interacts with their applications. It also provides a great way to uh, extend the capacity of a flash storage system by using a by using a fabric pool directly to a spinning disk system that is local in the data center. 
um, and provides very, very good performance while still kind of offering that tiering capability. So there's there's a mix of use cases, but customers that are really looking for the true data lake and the and all of the the data management capabilities are definitely focused on storage grid as the solution. So uh, with our customer proof of concept labs, we've done a little bit of testing for performance. Can you kind of elaborate a little bit on what those workloads were and what kind of performance we saw? Well, we do a number of things in the in the customer proof of concept labs. Uh, we test with real AI ML workloads. There are a couple of benchmark workloads using TensorFlow and, and MXNet um, that exercise the entire stack. They exercise the storage system and the and the GPUs and the networking in between. And then we also do a lot of synthetic benchmarking to to really test the edges of what our storage systems can do. So um, one of the interesting things we've been testing with lately is is parallel NFS, uh, NFS v4.1 offers the features to do parallel NFS, which will provide multiple network connections from the storage system and from each controller in the storage system back to the host uh, to help drive parallel bandwidth and and uh, increase the performance of the system. So recently we started with this PNFS testing and basically we're able to, to saturate the wire speed of 200 gigabit links using an A400 controller. Um, now we realize this is reading from memory on the storage system uh, but it shows one what the what the system itself is capable of, um, with you know provided the the data will the working set will fit in memory, um, and it also shows that the that generally the network bandwidth is not the uh, is not the limitation, and either the compute or the storage system is the limitation, um, and we can generally provide storage up to the the bandwidth limitations of the pipes we have connected. And I would imagine that most workloads would fit into the memory footprint of a lot of the higher end flash systems anyway. So that's not entirely unrealistic to see that kind of throughput. Uh, it really isn't. And in a lot of cases, the the other uh, the other point of this kind of workload is that generally it data is read multiple times throughout the process, whether it's read multiple times by a single server. Uh, in many cases, the process includes reading through a set of data, uh, uh, you know, consolidating a set of values and weights for the model, and then reading through the same set of data again and doing that again and again and again many times. And in that case, the data can ultimately stay resident in memory for a long period of time. Um, In many cases, though, the the data sets are much larger, right? We do talk to customers who are talking on the order of... um, terabytes or more of, of data, multiple terabytes of data in a data set. Uh, and then we can actually take advantage of, of things like flash pool or flash cache to use a slower, a slower storage system on the back end, but accelerate the important portions to a, to a flash system and maybe not deliver that out of memory performance, but still deliver um, very, very good performance all the way up to the maximum for a storage system, which on an A800 is easily 25 gigabytes a second. I can turn up AI workloads and, and push an A800 to that every day of the week. So with the A800 and the 25 gigs a second, and we're talking about from memory or is that like straight up like 
you know, no, that's wire. straight up from disk. That's using a data set that was engineered to be larger than system memory. When I when we test a, a data set that will fit into memory, which on the 800, I believe, is 512 gigs, uh, I have seen north of 40 gigabytes per second out of an A800, out of a single A800 system. Yeah. So, and, and, and again, you know, the, those numbers sound crazy, but they're not that crazy when you think about most data sets are able to, to do that. I mean, you are, you're able to leverage that memory for that particular use case. Right. And in many cases, the, the training, of course, the process here involves the data that's used more is better, but it has to be good quality data. It's so data is, you know, churned down out of all of that massive data that I talked about from the autonomous vehicles, really maybe a third or less of it actually makes it into a training process um, because either what was collected was a duplicate or it was invalid for some other reason. Um, and therefore, you know, in order to make sure that the models are learning the things the data scientists want them to learn, the data gets very specific. And so, and in many cases, they'll work with the same data set for weeks or months before making slight modifications and then, and then continuing with the same repeat process, the same experimentation. Are you seeing much of a use for storage efficiencies or customers just basically turning those off because the data set isn't that compressible and, and you can't get that much efficiency out of it anyway? Well, the, the data sets aren't, don't lend themselves to efficiencies. We don't ever turn them off because they don't impact the performance of our storage systems, um, which is a really nice feature. And that way we do get we do get efficiencies whenever it's possible, right? We generally see about 1.2 to 1.3 um, percent, you know, or storage efficiency ratio. So we're getting a, a little bit of benefit from it. But as you said, in many cases, the data is already compressed images or audio or things like that, that, that don't benefit from, uh, and certainly not deduplicated, um, data sets. Right. All right. So earlier you mentioned this triad concept, you know, being able to have kind of a, an all-in-one, uh, package that you can just purchase. What sort of, options do I have and, and how do I get those? Well, the, the beauty of this is that, like I said, it's, it's offered in a couple of t-shirt sizes, um, small, medium, large. So a, a small configuration would have two of the NVIDIA DGX A100s paired up with a NetApp AFF A400. And then each of the sizes offer two capacity options. So either a 65 terabyte option or 131 terabytes in an A400. Um, and that represents a, a small configuration. And then of course, there are there's a couple of uh, Mellanox network switches um, and all the associated cabling. Um, actually, each one of these configurations actually includes uh, a complete management stack. Uh, Bright computing is used to manage the DGX systems and the, and the networking. And then Domino Data Labs is available as an option for an MLOps platform on top of this. So in addition to the, to the DGX systems and the storage system, there's also a couple of standard CPU servers to run some of the additional software components. So a, a small configuration, as I said, has two DGX A100s and an A400 and the attendant management stack. A medium configuration has four of the NVIDIA DGX A100s and a NetApp AFF A700. And then that's available in options from uh, 131 terabytes 
or 263 terabytes. Now, the sizing options are basically just different drive sizes, right? We've, we've built out the system to, to achieve the maximum performance for each of these systems. And because we can offer different sizes of drives, um, it becomes a, a price versus uh, value question for the customer. Do they need that much or, or can they save a little bit of money by going with a, a smaller capacity? The large size is the is the big one and actually represents the rep the reference architecture uses eight of the DGX A100 storage systems and a NetApp AFF A800 with uh, 260 terabytes or 526 terabytes of capacity and then of course the management server stack to go with that as well. So with these packages, I mean, are they, are they saving money by having it all inclusive or is it just more of a convenience to to make it easier to purchase? Well, the value is convenience, both to the customer and to our partners. The, the main goal of this is to help, um, help customers get, this, get these types of systems on site as quickly as possible, right? So rather than having to kind of decide um, which components to use and how they would be connected and so on, uh, the, the qualified partners can simply say, I want a small, medium, or large, and it arrives. The, the Arrow personnel get it installed, and uh, it's up and ready to go. Um, the other value that, that we're trying to help enable is with some of our software development partners. Uh, we, we've partnered with a, with a couple of customers like Cambridge Consultants um, and S, uh, SFL, that are actually developing AI software for their customers. And they often need a, a platform to recommend, right? They're, they're talking to their customers who, just like everybody else, don't really know what to do here. And when they ask for a recommendation, we've provided, provided a, a really easy to consume package that fits the needs exactly, has, has already been qualified for everything and just goes up and, and is available very quickly. So is there any sort of certification that's out there for these types of systems? I know that like with, you know, FIPS compliance and that sort of thing, is there like an AI certification where you're, you're basically certified for this particular workload? Uh, there are not. And that, uh, that would be very difficult to do in the sense that the, the workloads are very broad. We, we see workloads like the autonomous driving workload, uh, a model training exercise for that generates two to three gigabytes per second per server and some of the some of the other model trainings we've seen only generate 15 megabytes per second per server. Um, but we are NetApp is working now. There is a uh, a new version of the uh, uh, Spec 2020 uh, uh, benchmark suite coming out. The the 2020 version of the Spec benchmark suite, and it actually includes now a machine learning component. So the NetApp teams, the, our performance engineering teams are, are gearing up to validate that benchmark and, and get us on the map in the, in the bigger picture with an a industry standard benchmark. And I know we've talked to a lot about Object and NAS. Are you seeing any SAN deployments out there for these types of workloads? <clears throat> this is not a place where SAN deployments typically play for the, the simple reason that uh, SAN tends to isolate data, right? The, a block storage device is connected usually to only one server system, and it makes it much harder for that data to be shared. Um, and data is data, and sharing is the name of the game. I mean, to me, this this is really what digital transformation means. We've all been we've heard this buzzword a lot, but you know, not only are customers kind of digitizing everything, but they're storing it in a place that 
every business unit in the organization can access it, not just the the database that it's physically connected to, right? The every business unit in an organization is a creator of data and a consumer of data. And the more data they can have access to that that is relevant to the business problems they're trying to solve, the more successful these AI type initiatives are. I guess throwing a, a cluster with a bunch of, you know, fiber channel attached lens and when you know, all the servers can access it and then stacking containers on top of that wouldn't really <laughs> help anything. It's better to have it distributed across, you know, a, a NAS device. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, for, like I said, it's, it's easier to, to orchestrate the, the sharing of data. I mean, Truly, the the end goal I think we're going to find is going to be object storage because of the the scales involved and the other the other processes. Some processes can access the object store directly. Other processes will do something to to accelerate that data. Either you know either accelerate it using some kind of an HTTP accelerator or move it from the object storage into a NAS repository. You know, the, the DGX systems come with, you know, the, the A100s now come with 15 terabytes of capacity inside the storage system. And we get a question from many customers, why do I need a, a NetApp to go with it when I've got 15 terabytes in the server? And the answer is everybody who wants to work on that data can't do that when you're doing it locally on the server, right? And when the when the external server can provide the performance necessary to support one or many of these types of servers, it makes a lot more sense to use a shared system like a like a NAS or an object store to do it. Yeah, and you're more likely to bottleneck on a single server, right? Whether it's network or or, or bandwidth that way, because you've only got a, a finite resource. Whereas a cluster, you can scale it out and add more resources as needed. Exactly. Exactly. Now, I will say the 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 competitor to the NAS in this space um, is I, I, I you could almost go to a block storage, but parallel file systems, right? Um, and of course, that's another one of the solutions NetApp offers with our E-series products. Um, we do see a lot of customers in this space that are coming from more of a high-performance compute background, use a, you know InfiniBand and that type of high-performance computing storage. And as I said, NetApp has had the E-series systems that have been playing in that space for many years. Um, and we are about to release um, a validated reference architecture for the E-series with eight DGX A100s, just like the ONTAP AI solution for the customers that really that really lean that way in their architecture. Is this running BGFS on top of it or is it something else? No, that's correct. It's running BGFS. They're they're basically going to be our our going forward partner for parallel file systems. Um, and uh, so this validation was with BGFS as the as the distributed file system. All right, David, so where would we find more information about these solutions or AI in general? Well, the, uh, the landing page for us is netapp.com slash AI. Um, that's going to have links to all of, the, uh, all of the technical reports and all of the reference architectures uh, that we've been working on. Um, and I will say, given what time, uh, what time of the year it is, uh, the NVIDIA GTC conference is coming up here at the beginning of April. Uh, we have a number of sessions that we will be presenting at GTC uh, talking about this and some other cool, uh, exciting announcements we've got with NVIDIA. Um, so that would be a great place for people to go for more information. 
And what is this NVIDIA GTC? Is it like a, a conference or is it a, you know, what is that particular? Uh, GTC event? is NVIDIA's uh, uh, GPU technology conference. Um, of course, due to COVID restrictions, it's all virtual and it's all free for everybody. So I, I definitely highly recommend it as a resource for people to learn all kinds of interesting things about the AI space. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank David Arnett for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.